Welcome to the Ion Annapolis Local Business Spotlight. There are thousands of locally owned businesses in the area, some small and some large. Some you may know and others you don't. But one thing they all have in common is a great story, and we want to share it with you. Join us every Saturday as we talk to the founders, the owners, and the managers of local businesses you have come to know and love, and those you will come to know and love. Now here's your host, John Frenet, with this week's Local Business Spotlight. Well, we made another trek up here to Glen Burnie to, uh, actually we're sitting in the offices of the Northern Anne Arundel County Chamber of Commerce Conference Room, and we're speaking with Andrew Leonard, who's the president of BL Technical Services. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. First of all, I want to thank you for your um, patience. And last week when we were supposed to record this one, something came up in rescheduling. So I do appreciate that. Tell me about BL Technical Service. I was on your website, which is bltechnical.com. Mm-hmm. And it says you are IT support for small and medium-sized businesses. Yes. And that's kind of like a broad reaching. Uh, yeah, I agree. And uh, that that's certainly part of uh, the difficulty in getting our message out there to who we serve. We are the IT department for small businesses and nonprofit organizations. We serve companies anywhere from just a few people to around 150 people and, of course, everything in between. So we really target companies with 30 to uh, 40 people in size as our um, for our marketing purposes. But just as much, we, we love our five employee companies and, of course, we love our Hundred employee companies. Well, I know the definition with. of small and medium is different from anybody that you yeah. that you go to. I mean, <laughs> we actually are getting away from the phrase medium because mm-hmm. um, you know just by a lot of definitions, um, small business really covers our entire base. Like by the SBA definition, for instance, it's up to three hundred people. We're well under that. There are some small businesses who uh, they're sizable small businesses. Uh, and they may not really consider themselves small businesses. I don't know. And that's probably where the medium came from when we first started using that phrasing 12 years ago. Right. But, um, you know, these days, even a hundred employee company still feels like a small business in many respects. And it's, true. Uh, it's like going to Starbucks. You don't, they don't have a medium. They got a yeah. small, small and large, small yeah. and large. So we, we really are kind of changing our phrasing. We're about to redo our website, too, um, to be more focused on saying small businesses and nonprofit organizations. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, I want to get into the weeds with the business mm-hmm. in a little bit, but what's your background? When How did this tech bug bite you to... Well, it, it's, it's, it's always been there. Um, I first first started having an interest in technology when I was very young. I mean, when I was like five or six years old. Uh, That's when I really first uh, got my hands onto a computer and I really wanted to understand Dude, you're making me feel really old. <laughs> but so so it started out that young for you. Yeah, yeah. You know, my uh my my parents uh they they brought home a computer and I was obsessed and I started, you know, it started out with games and from there it just start I continued to understand it better like um you know, my parents weren't uh they they didn't they they didn't have nearly the type of interest I had or the appreciation for what the technology was or what it would evolve into and uh so if there was a problem with it then that was it you know there was no I'm going to hire a repair person to come deal with it we're going to learn how to deal with it no none of that happened uh if I had any equipment it was fully up to me to deal with whatever problems might have come up, and uh, and if there was money to be invested in it, um, I would have to make the best use of that investment to deal with it. So, you know, uh, being a you know, like I said, I, I it's like when I was five, but you know, more along the lines when I was ten, eleven, and twelve, I might have some ways of earning a meager amount of money, and I would be putting that into buying parts, but. I didn't want to also be paying somebody to fix my computer. I mean, I'm really, I couldn't. I just simply, as a 10 or 11-year-old, I wouldn't be able to afford that. So uh, every time something acted up with the technology, I was the one who had to deal with it. I was the one who had to fix it. And it's just funny looking back on it because things were so much looser back then, just like with a lack of security in the software and... Um, 
You know, well, just look. I've had the conversation with several people. I mean, the internet in general, again, another broad term, has just really been transformative in any number of different ways. And I sit there and I look at uh, you know, some of these older World War II bets that are you know, starting to pass away now and, and just what they've seen from their time in the 30s till mm-hmm. it's, it's unbelievable. But yeah. how did BL Technical Services start? Well, we started in 2011. Um, you know, my, my drive for serving small businesses um, really started with my first, uh, well, really my second IT job. My first IT job was uh, at Lockheed Martin. I worked on the contract for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and that's kind of a huge thing to get started with because we had 25,000 users. Sure. Uh, and, 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 you know, it was a low-level job, but... Um, you know, from there, I, I worked to get my credentials. Um, got a, I got several Microsoft certifications, several CompTIA certifications, which that's your uh, a vendor agnostic organization for um, for promoting knowledge in the field. So that they they sponsor they they run programs for certifications, and um, so while I was at Lockheed Martin, I got all those going and got some very valuable certifications and became uh, a valuable employee at uh, my first job. That was with a company called Analysis. While I was there, I really got an appreciation just for the small business environment. I mean, very much this business is modeled after all of the good things that uh, that I learned from Analysis and leaving behind some of the bad things that I observed there. And I'm not trying to be critical of that company. It's not even in existence anymore. I mean, everybody makes mistakes, and, and ultimately I, uh, I left. But uh, in 2011, I, I basically took what I had and continued the work and uh, landed a few uh, significant deals. And uh, it's funny, in the first few months of running this company, or running what was then just a one-man operation, I was looking for a job at nighttime. I was like, I have this little base of customers. I want to keep them going because I want to build on this. If I lose them, uh, if I lose them now, I'll never get them back. So I want to do everything I can to build on. So I was just doing everything I could to keep them and serve them and build on it, and also pay my Eat. bills. <laughs> Eat right, exactly. <laughs> And so uh, while doing, on, doing all that, you know, I was looking for a night job because the way I, I basically figured it was um, I could work the night job and more or less sleep during the day but respond to the customer's needs as they came in. As crazy as it sounds, I was pretty satisfied with work, uh, with billing about 10 hours a week back then. And the reason it's crazy is because we bill in excess of 200 hours a week. Oh, wow. Probably much more. It's not a statistic I pay much attention to these days because the business has evolved. Back then, um, our main product was um, hourly service, and today we've uh, evolved into a maintenance model. Contracts and maintenance. Yeah, we serve as the IT department for a fixed fee, and and that's based on... Um, it makes us responsible for the problems rather than just simply being the repairman. I like to think of it like the difference between keeping a, a jet in the air or keeping a car running on the highway. So if your business is a car running on the highway and you're okay with it breaking down on the side of the road every once in a while and waiting for the people to respond, then calling the local repair guy is a, it might be a good fit for you. If you want to keep your business running all the time, time, then a maintenance organization like BL Technical Services is the right fit for you. But again, the IT service is pretty wide. I mean, mm-hmm. what when you get into the weeds, I mean, what can you handle for a small business? I mean, you say you're the company's IT department. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get the the ditch that comes in there and pushes the CD, which don't exist anymore out there, and says, hey, my coffee mug holder is not warming things up. I mean, is that, I mean, do you get into that, the real basic level? We absolutely do. Um, Of of course, that's not the only area that we were involved in, but um, it's a recent development here. 
for, for years and years, um, we kind of had an abstract understanding of what the staff's roles were here, who was good at what. And um, about a year ago, we broke it down into defined roles, uh, and that's really served us well. So it also allowed us to hire better um, suited for different types of needs. So back then when we just had technicians and they were we knew they were good at certain things today we have field service technicians desktop support specialists systems administrators and systems engineers and um, so for a need like you just described that could uh, that, that certainly if it's handled by a phone call our, our desktop support specialists are kind of the front line when it comes to um, responding to phone requests how many employees do you have now uh, we are at about 15 oh wow so I say about because somebody is uh, leaving the organization right now on good terms. You know, life evolves and life changes. and Absolutely. Uh, and then we have two vacancies. So, um, you know, one to replace them. And then I decided to open another position. So uh, we're hiring. And uh, with a focus on the D.C. area, we're looking for a hybrid approach. The person will work here for the first 90 days at our offices in Glen Burnie to get acclimated, and then for the most part from there, they'll be based out of their home. They'll still have to go on site to do service calls, but the point is to have them closer into the D.C. area so that they're closer to, they're on the ground where the customer need is instead of being coming all the way from Glen Burnie. So where's your where's your circle of service areas? I mean, I, I, most everything is going now remotely. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of stuff is. Well, anyhow. I mean, but you obviously don't want to work with somebody in Montana. Right, right. So... Our primary service areas are um, Baltimore, Washington, everything around and in between. Basically, we're, we're growing organically. We're growing relatively quickly organically. And so as we grow and we get customers in a, in a fringe area on those radiuses of uh, those two cities, we hire people to who live closer to those areas. So we've been a hybrid office since we've hired our first employees. You know, they've always worked from home and we've always covered a greater territory because of that. So for instance, in, in Westminster, uh, we have William. So he's able, when, when there's an on-site uh, need, he's able to go quickly from that area instead of having somebody nearly an hour away in Glen Burnie. That's really smart. Yeah, and we've always done it. The you know we were ahead of uh, the mentality of the pandemic, um, so that's just the way we've always done it. So we have people uh, north of Baltimore, obviously right here in the Glen Burnie, Pasadena, Anne Arundel County area, Crofton, D.C. So um, we're trying to, uh, like I said, we're we're hiring some more people in the D.C. area because the on-premise, uh, on-site needs in that area are getting higher, and we're. We, we want to reduce the amount of uh, drive time um, spent from people who are further away and not, of course, mileage and gas and all that. Well, there's, a, there's any number of reasons. I mean, you can, you can be green, you can cut well, down and, and mileage the, expenses, you can, you know. The biggest reason is serving the customer. So if the, if, the, uh, if the need is in Silver Spring and the only person we have available is in Baltimore, that customer's waiting. But if the need is in Silver Spring and the technician is in Silver Spring perfect fit. Well, certainly from when you had your first experience at age five, we become much more dependent on the, I would say the green screen in front of us, or maybe the orange screen in front of us, but the, uh, the screens that are in front of us are in our pockets and we need, we need help and we need it fast. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that makes all the sense in the world to be able to say, okay, you've got somebody in Westminster that can get out to, uh, you know, Frederick a lot quicker Mm -hmm. than we can from Glen Burnie. Right, right. You mentioned that a lot can be done remotely, and, I, and, and that's certainly true. Uh, but it's funny. Uh, there are other companies that operate on a uh, remote service model. They don't offer on-site service, or they offer they offer like unlimited remote support but charge for on-site, or they don't have staff that are capable of it, so they have to do uh, they they have to engage contractors in the local area. And it's an incomplete support model. It's it's uh, you know you have to have that covered and that's that's why we we call our primary service vehicle fundamental care and you know you asked earlier what do we do and you know it's kind of abstract IT department and I totally agree it it absolutely is abstract it's hard to pin down because there's a lot of needs that are in a gray area with a customer organization 
And that's why, you know, we, we have a couple of uh, intentional uh, approaches to things that are different from other companies. So, for instance, um, we, we treat our, our technical support more like a contract labor agreement than we do, uh, of course, it has other services. Um, but then, then it is like a traditional IT uh, support contract because um, we want to be able to be flexible to help our customers with things that aren't necessarily by the letter of the law or of the agreement uh, something that would be the IT department's purview. So, for instance, like um, establishing a website, right? We don't do the creative work for for setting up a website. We, we, don't, we don't do web designs, but we're responsible for, say, updating the DNS records so that, they, uh, so that, they, that the website populates. The PHP and all that. Well, no, nah, that's or, something or different. That's the, the PHP, that's, that, that type of stuff is for the, uh, for the web developers. Okay. Um, another one that might be a little bit better to understand is like when somebody's getting a copier installed or a multifunction printer, we're not responsible for the printer itself, but we're responsible for seeing that it gets connected to the network, installed on everything, where another IT company might go, oh, well, you know, you got to deal with your print vendor. They got to check all the boxes. They have to go around and install it on there. So there, there's a lot of, lot of gray area that we welcome. And, uh, you know, one of the things that kind of differentiates us, too, is that it's pretty typical in our, um, in our industry to have, like, a fixed term agreement. So usually, you know, they, they, it's not uncommon to see three-year ones. And um, so basically the customer is signing up saying we're going to use we're, we're committed to using your IT services for three years. And when you when you do that, it's really, really important to identify areas of responsibility because anything that's not on that list and you ask them for and they say we can't do it as long as it's not on that list, you have no standing to tell them, well, you know, we don't want to work with you anymore. It's like, well, you have two years left on your contract, and we are abiding by our contract. What is your logic for saying we can't do that? Whereas with our approach, we require 90 days notice. And the biggest reason for that is simply to have a level of stability in our company. If somebody's leaving, particularly a large client. We want to have enough time to hit the road and maybe try to make some new sure, customers. replace them or in the unfortunate instance where you may have to cut back staff. Right, right. We want to have enough time to be able to make those adjustments. Fortunately, we've never had to lay off anybody, not even through the pandemic. Yeah, we, we want to have, we, we, don't, we don't want to have sudden departures because, you know, we do integrate ourselves into our customer organizations. We very much become their IT department. We are an outsourced function of their business. We, we're referred to many by many as a managed service provider. I'm not a particular fan of that term because it's very generic sounding. But in any event, we're the we we do manage the IT services. And if we get uh, if our agreement ends with a company, then we. Uh, then we have to look at uh, reconfiguring if they're a sizable customer. So anyway, the point I was getting at is that we operate under a 90-day notice because it, it, it allows for the most open forms of communication and evolution with the customer. And if, for whatever reason, instead of us being stuck in a undesirable working relationship because they're under a commitment and they're begrudgingly paying us and uh, we're constantly getting yelled at because we're not doing something that they want that we thought we communicated well that we don't do, we can just simply work to rearrange. You know, they can find another company, we can You know, I I admire that so much though because you need to run your business. You need to put food on your table and your employees' tables and everything else. And you need to provide a service to the, the your client. Mm-hmm. And they're looking for that service. And if you know if it's not working, let's not stick with a three-year contract. The other the other side of it too is it encourages um, conversation. You know, maybe there's a way that we can accommodate that. Maybe we can make some adjustments to our contract to make it work. Uh, or it. It also uh, means that I'm constantly motivated to ensure that we're 
we're satisfying the customer's needs. It's not just a matter of hitting the letter of the contract to make sure that they can't find standing to terminate our contract because we're in default. It's always a concern that if we don't meet their expectations, they can always get rid of us. And um, I think that that makes us a better service organization. I think our track record uh, really stands for that. I mean, we don't really lose a lot of customers. We The biggest reason why we lose customers is because they merge with other companies and we're not the uh, direction that was chosen between the two directions. And it's kind of a feather in my cap when the company that I've helped grow from, say, 30 to 50 employees gets bought by a thousand employee company and uh, they, they go, well, Andrew, we can't use your services because, you know, we're just becoming, a, I don't want to say a drop in the bucket, but, you know, part of a much larger organization whose IT apparatus is already well established. They're not going to go down our path. And that, that's happened several times. And, you know, for the ownership of those businesses, that's a win. And it's, sure. and it's like I say, it's a feather in my cap. Of course, I'm losing the ongoing business relationship. But, you know, everybody involved is happy up to that point to say, you know, I was able to sell my business, meet my goals, and BL Technical helped me all the way through. Many of our customers, they sign up with us. And they stay with us forever. It's by and large. I mean, the majority, uh, you know, it's it's kind of silly to say that customers stay with us until they don't. But um, <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I totally I totally get it. I mean, I you know, I've been fortunate enough that I haven't had to go shake the bushes too often for customers mm-hmm. in in my business. And I think it speaks to me. It's, it certainly speaks to you that if you've got customers that outgrow you, mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, uh, and that you're able to maintain that. And I mean, oh my gosh, you know, 2011. I mean, we're going now on you know, 12 years, 12, 13 years. Yeah. You know, are you also? I mean, you're talking about the different contracts and keeping people, businesses in that contract. Are you also? Do you also offer the? Uh, we'll go back to your analogy of the highway, but the tow truck operation. No, um, you know, we we used to, um, and I'll tell you what happened with it. Um, There's back in uh, 2017 when we had about five employees, we had a serious deficit, and uh, in other words, our you know we had a serious set of bills and not enough money coming in, and uh, I had trouble sleeping, (laughs) so. I thought about how I was going to do this and how I could continue making uh, making the business work. And um, you know, I had a couple of fixed rate maintenance agreements um, back then, but those were kind of things that um, more or less the customers insisted upon having. And um, and of course, I, f- I offered them to them versus something that I was comfortable pitching. So uh, in 2017, I. Um, you know, I, I'm like, I can't grow the company beyond this. It's too scary. It's too likely to, it's too likely to have a deficit where I may not be able to make payroll. And so I, I approached uh, some of my customers. I kind of aimed in the middle. Well, I guess I should say first, I, I thought about the way that I was offering services and um, a, a simplistic approach might go, okay, by the hour service is cheaper, and it can be cheaper. It certainly could be. It, you end up shifting the responsibility of the um, information systems, or I should say, the, the responsibility of of what the, what happens with the information systems lies on the customer. If you're only responding when something is broken, then um, and then you're otherwise just completely unengaged. And uh, while uh, while nobody is complaining, then you never do anything to prevent problems from happening. You know, the hourly customers, it would it was largely unheard of for somebody to say, hey, why don't you spend a couple of hours coming out and just making sure everything's okay? Tuning us up. Yeah, and really, that's not even the best approach anyway, because you want to be able to invest in systems that tell you when there is a problem as they happen. Because, you know, 
the prospect of a tune-up uh you know you might come in on day five of the month and yeah you look at it everything's great and then day 30 everything has fallen apart because on day 15 there was a condition that was identified that if was addressed on day 15 it would have been okay but it uh, but nobody knew until it crashed you know a common scenario with that is um disk failure hard drive failure so um hard disks and and solid state disks what we use today for the most part they have a function to self-report when they're dying so if you catch the self-reporting of it of it about to die you can replace it before it actually does die and so that really fits well into the analogy to say day five no problem day 15 self-reported problem nobody does anything about it because nobody knows Know about it and then day 25 it the dies. drive dies the user loses uh, productivity and if there's any data that was uniquely on that disk it could be gone so no we don't really do that um, anymore and uh, because the other side from a business operational standpoint is it's impossible for me to staff for that so I'm sure I, just put people in the middle of the night. That's when my, everything in my world breaks, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, like, you know, if we have 100 customers who may call us because they may have a problem, then we can't predict at what volumes they decide to reach out to us and tell us our stuff's broken. Versus if we have 100 customers who we know how large they are we know what sizes they are we charge them appropriately for their size and their and their complexity we can staff our company with that completely in mind and we'll never run into a tidal wave well i like i like that you're like kind of a soup to nuts kind of a firm in that you know you you are the it department and i know there's that's a big sort of business now is sort of renting a ceo or a cfo and there's a there's a company in Annapolis that does it that's they have people that are qualified as CEOs and qualified as CFOs and accountants and everything else and they basically loan them out to nonprofits they work mostly with so mm-hmm. a little nonprofit might not be able to you know have an executive director or may not be able to afford a CFO but they need it mm-hmm. and here they just do a sort of a fractional type right. of a thing which makes yeah. sense to you but i mean with the soup to nuts it it does make sense so when you're going out to your, your customer and you're looking to make sure that they're all up and running smoothly, I mean, that's like software updates and um, firewall updates and the, those types of things to yeah, make sure uh, that they're as protected as they can be? Absolutely. So, um, you know, if I, if I may make it sound a lot like a sales pitch here. Um, so our, our primary service is fundamental care. It's unlimited technical support. We back up your systems. We monitor the systems for conditions that may uh, deteriorate and lead to downtime or loss. And uh, we provide antivirus and anti-malware protection and cyber uh, security awareness training. Uh, that's become a real important uh, part of our offering uh, as of late because and that, what, what is are, what is that awareness is that just like training employees to be aware of phishing and absolutely uh, I mean I, I I'm hor- I'm I'm I think I'm good at that because I'm horrible at looking at any email I'm always suspect of anything <laughs> you should be because it's so easy to uh, manipulate it's funny how um, so many people trust in that name that they see on the on the from column they see their boss's name and they think it's from their boss when anybody can easily just go to a free email service sign up a free email account and put whatever name Name they want i remember the first time i i got caught on this and this is probably why i'm so cautious it was uh something from I can't, somebody that I would expect to get from. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it looks legit, but I'm suspicious. Yeah. And I went back like four or five times. And I finally made a decision. I said, yeah, I think I better look at that. And I clicked it. And all of a sudden, I had a Windows computer at the time. It opened up a zillion windows. You know, like when you play uh, Solitaire and it, you know, <laughs> in the game and it goes... Right, 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 right. Same thing. And it was, it was, I mean, there was porn. There was, uh, you know, bloody bodies. There was just, uh, you know, I'm like, mm. I ultimately just pulled the plug out the wall and, you know, had to get it, get it cleaned up. So that's, I've been very, very cautious of that. 
But, I mean, you guys do offer that type of a service where you're teaching the employees. It's refreshing that you're able to call one shop. Yeah, know. I mean, we, 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 and we, you know, we, when we named our service, uh, you know, a couple years ago, really, is when we started doing it. But, like, uh, when we named, when we, before then, we just referred to it generically as a maintenance agreement. But we call it fundamental care because it really uh, provides for the fundamentals that every business needs. And, you know, we, when, when there are needs for our customers that are beyond that, we, we talk about that and we engage third parties to bring them in. Like, for instance, a lot of companies use Microsoft 365 or Google Apps for collaboration. That's not something that we include in it because not everybody uses that, and that's something that they can sign up for separately. Uh, we'll manage the service for them, but they won't be paying us for the service. They'll be paying Microsoft or a sure, software right. distributor for it. So uh, the fundamentals, we, we're very strong on um, where our contemporaries might not uh, be so strong on this. We want everybody and every computer to be backed up. Um, you know, a lot of times they talk about servers being backed up, and we definitely want every workstation being backed up. It's uh, not cheap to do, but it's less expensive than losing all of your data, or not just all of your data, but, like, you never know. From an organizational standpoint, you have to think about it this way. So um, a user despite however you might direct them to save their information, they may not listen to you. So if the user is told to save their files to a network drive, to SharePoint, Dropbox, OneDrive, whatever the way of having your organizational files are, and they decide for whatever reason to save it somewhere else while they're working on it, and then their, their drive dies, it's not just the user who is suffering from the loss of data. It's the whole organization. So, you know, we include backup as part of, of, of all the com computers as part of fundamental care because it prevents the organization from losing it. And, you know, um, we also think about it from the IT department standpoint. Um, we, if we're backing it up, we, re we won't run into situations where users are asking us to go on a wild goose chase to try to recover something that's very difficult or next to impossible. Do you do data recover. recovery? No, we don't do data recovery in the sense of, um, I, I mean, I guess it, it's, a wide, it's a wide spectrum. So, right, it's not, you're, not, you're not getting the barnacle-covered hard drive. It's, <laughs> yeah, no. yeah we're not, we don't operate a laboratory, for instance, that can that can go deep diving into, um, into a failed disk. But we have resources to get it done when it's uh, depending on what the situation is. So okay. data recovery, somebody acts, I mean, really with backup, for instance, you know, since we have backup of all of our customers' uh, computers, not necessarily all of them, we have unique arrangements, but um, most of our customers' plans include backup of all their computers. So you can call, do we do data recovery? Well, yes, if, if they deleted it and we had the backup. But let's just say for somebody who didn't have it uh, on there, maybe we take on a new client. It hasn't been deployed yet or the damage happened before we took them on. You know, we have tools at our disposal to, to deal with it. Like if it was just recently deleted, there are, you know, we have, we have equipment to hook up their drives and read deep into it and try to recover the files and then if, uh, if the disk is actually broken, then um, we just have no choice. We have to send it off to a lab. We have a lab partner. We send it off. They give us a quote. We present it to the customer. They can decide whether they want to want move forward. And it's not, it's very expensive. Will you do, will you do something like from, if I'm starting a new business today, okay, mm -hmm. I and mean, obviously uh, you're not doing construction and pulling wires for networking and stuff like that. And I mean, I, I'm assuming they still use Cat Five cable, oh, and yeah. different things as opposed to Cat Six and Cat Seven. But yes. okay, okay, same. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a couple couple cats off. But I mean, would you come in and you know help me spec out what computers I may need for my staff, and um, you know then once all the boxes arrive. Yeah, I mean, actually, we just recently did it. We um, we helped a uh, medical practice that was starting in Silver Spring. Uh, they had no technology at all. They they didn't have anything going on. 
So um, as part of our engagement process, we, we go out and meet with them, look at the site, and understand the need a little bit better. And um, in this case, it happened that just they literally didn't exist yet. So we uh, put together a proposal for fundamental care. And um, as part of fundamental care, we did all of that. We spec'd out the computers. We installed all the computers. We installed the networking equipment. We gave the low-voltage wiring company a spec. Uh, we pointed out where an electrician needed to install some more outlets. And at the uh, we, we ordered all the equipment. And um, once it all came in and once it was all installed, set it all, or well, we installed it. We set it up and... Uh, in consultation with them, and they're fully operational under that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I know with the, um, you know, I know when I first started one of the businesses, when we had the phone people come in and they had to put their thing in there, and I guess that's, I mean, our, I mean, phones, everything is VOIP now, isn't it, at this point? During the pandemic, we actually started a, uh, a new business line called Office Phones Plus. I'd love to hear a story when someone says, during the pandemic, arguably one of the worst times. <laughs> We found a way to make something better. Yeah. Uh, what, office phones plus? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, BL Technical's been in operation since uh, 2011. And, um, you know, we, we, we had built up our customer base. Uh, you know, we work with dozens of companies, and now we're over 100. Um, and, you know, we had a very uh, repetitive storyline that was happening in uh, March and April of uh, 2020, Everybody needed to work from home, help us move, make our computers work from home, and depending on the uh, particular setups of the customer, we would, uh, you know, we'd have different ways of doing that. But something came up that we really couldn't help them with, uh, which was, well, what do I do about my phone? And you know, the the answer invariably, well, maybe maybe in some respects, the customer would have a modern VoIP system. Uh, other time, and we, we would help them get that set up through the application, or they could take their phone home. But many times they didn't. They had a more traditional phone set up, whether it was just basic lines and you know a system they could buy at Walmart, um, and, or they had something more complicated. But we just had no uh, no control, no purview over it. And so we regularly had to say, "Well, you're going to have to check with your phone people on that." And so I had remembered. Um, that a while ago somebody was trying to partner with me to offer their phone services to my customers and um, and I built on that I, um, I I talked to them and uh, basically over time I've established um, a uh, partner network with dozens of phone carriers so you have the big guys you have Verizon and Comcast so we work with them um, but also you know they 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 uh, they go for the shotgun approach. They can work for everybody, but they don't necessarily are. Uh, they're not necessarily the best service for many of our customers. So we work with uh, other companies like Sangoma, Nextiva, Netphone, Spectrum VoIP, and Ring Central. And really, I could just go on for the next five minutes naming <laughs> different companies right. that we work with. But what we do, we bridge a underserved gap in uh, in the customer needs. So, you know, there are probably hundreds of companies out there that are offering um, cloud uh, phone services, VOIP phone services, where you don't have a box in your office that controls it. And um, But getting it set up and getting to using it is a difficult task. And you know, a lot of these service providers, when you end up at their website and you uh, and you sign up for service, you end up just getting a box full of equipment, and you and your staff are going to have to muddle through unboxing it, setting it up, talking with somebody over the phone who likely isn't really invested in your success. They're doing their job, sure, but they don't really care about it. They're just they've trying to check to some, some The next guy that comes down the road. Right, right. So, you know, when somebody signs up for services through us, the same services generally, um, first of all, when somebody tells us they have a, phone, a need for phone services, we we endeavor to understand their needs because every phone carrier has their strong their strengths and their weaknesses 
and based on the customer need, we'll uh, we'll connect them with one or more services. Not only that, um, you know, we offer internet services again through the big guys, Comcast, Verizon, and dozens of other ones that that have a, a niche market maybe there are literally buildings in baltimore city that are served by like one carrier and it's not <laughs> verizon and comcast so you got to know who to go to to get the service in but anyway the, the point i'm trying to make is a lot of times people will go to comcast or verizon and they'll get phones and internet and you know most of the time internet's going to be from one of those two companies in this area but you have so many more choices for phones and so they don't you know you're not going to go to the comcast salesperson they're not going to say oh yeah you can get 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 internet from us but let me tell you about this other company <laughs> offering phones but you where are. we are doing that because we have relationships with both of them so if somebody comes to us and through our assessment you know we ask things we we need to know the the basics like how many phones they have and um and what kind of functionality that they need. And we don't just simply ask, oh, what functions do you want? Because people don't know what's out there necessarily. (laughs) So we ask them questions that kind of lend to that, like, do you uh, work in internationally? And, uh, you know, you'd be surprised at how many times you find people who are making a lot of international phone calls or they're avoiding making international phone calls. And we have different carriers that include different countries. We have several that include all of Canada and all of Mexico, and we have some that include a lot of Europe, a lot of Asia. You can even get phone numbers in those countries. You know, we ask people if they have uh, considered using uh, text messaging, and sometimes, you know, you'll see people like they'll have a separate phone, a cell phone for text messaging, and they won't have they won't have any facility to receive texts on their office phone number. And that's a missed opportunity in a lot of ways because when you're serving the general public, the younger crowd is um, sees a phone number, they text it. Sure. They don't call it. They text it. And if you don't have uh, a way of receiving that message, you may miss a uh, you may miss an opportunity. But in any event, we ask questions. We understand their needs. And uh, we understand um, a level of what their budget is for it because. We can, uh, you know, different co- different companies are going to meet the, uh, suit the need, but then also we think about the need and we think about the different companies that might do it at different prices. And then we may even be able to negotiate on behalf of our customer to uh, get a better price for them because I can be the one that goes to the carrier and says, I'm, it's not going to sell if you don't lower the price. And they'll, they, can, they can come back and well, say, Well, they're going to hey, certainly listen to you a little bit more. Yeah. Carefully, then they listen to me. This goes up, and says, "Hey, well, you know, I mean, yeah." Not only that, you know, a layperson doesn't know some of the pitfalls. Like, for instance, one of um one of the ways that we position ourselves in the uh, marketplace is we include um, free installation for what we do. Now, we don't do, say, phone wiring, but we don't need to do wiring. Uh, wiring doesn't need to be done most of the time because it uses the same wiring that the computers right. use. Uh, and many of the phones these days work on Wi-Fi as well. So, But the things that are challenging are, first of all, unboxing all the equipment, placing it at the different uh, desks, transferring the phone numbers, setting up the auto attendance, the ring groups, the greetings, the voicemails, all that stuff we do. Uh, We don't charge for it. And um, a lot of times the carriers include those extra fees on there for provisioning that we just simply say, take it off. It's like, hey, um, you're not competitive to our customer group. We're not uh, going to charge a provisioning fee because none of our other carrier partners do. And I'm just not going to present your quote if you don't take it off. I don't have to say that. They, sure. kn- they know that uh, that part. <laughs> right. I just say take it off. Um, but um, also, just one of the biggest things that I just I just can't stand when I see it, especially because I've I've lost opportunities over this, and I try to make the make it so clear to the customer, for whatever reason, customary in the phone industry to quote the services without taxes <laughs> and the taxes can be substantial they vary from county to county from city to city and they can be as high as 45 percent of the bill so you know a business with you know a couple dozen phones they get a quote that says five hundred dollars my quote says it's eight hundred dollars because i included taxes i lose to the five hundred dollar quote and then they're paying and then they're paying fifty potentially more yeah 
And um, so, you know, we really, we're really strong about our reputation. You know, it's funny, I haven't even really said the best part about all of this. My company, Office Phones Plus, we don't charge anything to the customer for doing this. So we have a relationship with the carrier. We're one of their partners. They pay us to do all this. And so we don't have to charge our customers anything to do it. Is Office Phones Plus, is that separate from... BL Technical. Yes and no. It's an operation we're building up, and um, so we don't have dedicated staff to it, but we have dedicated processes to it. So, um, you know, we have dozens of customers on, uh, that we've made deals for. Uh, we, we've sold phone systems. And, and they're uh, unique customers, though. They're not necessarily customers of, of BL, BL Technical, Technical Services. No, yeah, right, exactly. I mean, we they have, could be. They but, could be, but, yeah, we... we we uh, independently promote it. It's a separate business line. We partner with different companies. And the goal is we will have separate employees once it makes sense to do it. We're building it out as a separate business because it's, it's a business. It's, it's a worthwhile operation both for us and for the customer value to do it as a separate business. Backup, well, you mentioned backup several different times, too. I mean, do you actually do the backups here or in, in, on a server farm or, or, or something like so that? We have, or is that in the client's property? No, no. So we um, – it's neither of those options. <laughs> uh, we have a partnership with, uh, with a company called uh, Enable. They're, uh, they're a large um, – they're a large publicly traded company that offers services to companies like mine. And um, – and it allows us to leverage uh, the best of the technology and the systems to um, to be able to offer our clients something that would otherwise be unreachable for them. So, and you know, we're the ones who are investing the large amounts of money to get that system right and to have access to that system, so that even companies as few as four and five computers can have world-class backup. So it's really cool because we have data centers all over the world. I mean, all of our customers' data, except for a couple, is stored in the United States. We, we do have a couple of companies that are based outside of the United States, and they don't want their data in the United States, and that's their call. Um, but the ones that are in the United States is stored in the United States. We're able to uh, offer you know a great backup product uh, for that. So it's not stored on the customer site. It's not stored here in our offices in Glen Burnie. It's stored in one of several data centers. Each client, each machine, I don't want to say is randomly uh, picked, but every machine, it's a different place. New York, Chicago. Right. There's a lot of redundancy in there just for security. I mean, you you think of it. I mean, I know way back in the days when we used to have like a little uh, portable drive to plug in uh, it was like okay, you take one home. Yeah, you know, yeah. In case the and office burns down, and you know, it's this, really this. that's really such a poor approach. Um, you know, we have some legacy customers that we've been working with for a very long time, and you know, we we don't we avoid trying to cut people off. I mean, we've had to do it a little bit to 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 grow properly, but um, you know, they refuse to to change their practices. They're they're kind of living in the way that it was in you know, 2010 and, you know, that backup swapping mentality is just not good because when you back up, uh, when, you, when you're doing a backup, you need to ask yourself what perils are you protecting yourself against? And you got to ask, you know, that there are reasonable and unreasonable perils too. You know, for instance, do you protect yourself against the you know an invading army literally it's like well maybe some people would but i I don't think that's really realistic for a small business to protect against Mm -hmm. here in maryland um but a fire a flood equipment theft uh accidental deletion and equipment breakdown those are those are some of the uh more common ones and so when you think about the hard drive swapping backup strategy it um, it can protect against all of them if everything is done correctly. So the backup actually has to occur, and that's actually one of the one of the biggest sins with backup is people will set up backup and they will have no practice of confirming that it's actually working. <laughs> 
So, you know, there, on more than one occasion, I visited a company and understood that they had a backup strategy. And then I go to look at it and go, well, Last your backup, backup was three months ago. Exactly. So, the uh, making sure that the backup actually happens. So that that that's the first thing. And then you know, with a uh, backup destination that is uh, on premise, like an external hard drive, uh, as frequently as you remove it is uh, as frequently as you're protected against most of the perils. So if if you're going to, to protect yourself from a fire, uh, you, you, the drive needs to be off-site. The backup needs to be off-site. And so if the users or if the customer organization swaps it once a week, well, if it happens on day six, the fire happens on day six, they lost six days' worth of data. Right. And, of course, realistically, more realistically, they get um, lax about... Um, Swapping it, and I re- honestly, it probably in most cases where that scenario is set up, it deteriorates to never being swapped, or a swap happens where they they just swap the device, but they don't have a sense that uh, that it needs to be taken off site because they don't think about the perils. The person was just told at some point, "Hey, swap the disc, swap it once a uh, day, swap it once a week," and maybe they do that, but they leave the other one on top. <laughs> And, uh, and and so that protects against accidental data loss. That protects against maybe uh, ransomware. Theft. It doesn't protect against equipment theft. If they, well, they take the computer, but not the backup. Anything but. that you, I mean, you got to think about it like that. You know, that's true. But if 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 you have a computer and you have a disk on top of it, a thief isn't going to... No, they're grab and run. Yeah, they're just going to grab everything they see of that could be of any perceived value and they're going to take it. True. So it doesn't, it doesn't protect against equipment theft. It doesn't protect against fire, flooding. And, um, and, you know, just taking it a little bit more extreme, if there was never a swap, which I do see that regularly, actually, uh, with new, new engagements, if they were to get... Um, a ransomware infection where they encrypt all the files and demand a ransom, they tend to go not only after the primary source of the data, but also the backup. So your backup is, uh, you know, if, yeah, well. if your backup is, is subject to, is held for ransom, just like your primary. So, um, you know, you have to think about perils. And that's actually why I um, talk about data resiliency or service resiliency rather than just backup. So, uh, you know, when you talk about services such as Microsoft 365, um, you know, on the, uh, we, we do for many of our customers include um, backing up of Microsoft 365 in fundamental care. Even so, it's not unreasonable to have the position that it doesn't need to be backed up because it has a level of resiliency built in and it has settings and services that can make it even more resilient. So, for instance, you can set retention policies that um, don't allow the users to actually delete stuff for a long time. Like, uh, we can, I have customers who have it set up they, that even if the user deletes it, it looks like it's been deleted, it feels like it's been deleted, but it's going to remain in the system for the next seven years. So you have those resiliency strategies. The one peril that it doesn't protect against, or really kind of there's two perils. One is um, it doesn't protect against Microsoft itself having a major catastrophe. Um, but, I mean, that, that is fairly unlikely. Um, it's not something that, a, that many small businesses would be in a great position to protect against. But even so, there are ways to protect against it, like the backup that we offer. The other is um, the compromise of an administrator account. You know, and that's why we operate under the privilege of, excuse me, under the principle of least privilege necessary as much as we can. And uh, it's funny you mentioned business principles, uh, organizational principles. Those are the ones that that's kind of a hard conversation to have with, particularly the smaller the business is, the less they appreciate delegating full control of something to someone else. Oh, sure, they're all control freaks. <laughs> yeah. I like to, You're probably a little bit of a control freak yourself, I bet. You know... Um, in certain degrees. Of course, but, you know, 
as the business grows, I need to allow people to do other things, and I need to think of ways to uh, to be able to be comfortable with allowing them to do other things. Uh, an example of that is um, our payroll. I used to do the payroll all by myself, and uh, I hired um, somebody else in the role of um, executive administrator, and part of his duties is to prepare payroll, so he prepares it. And instead of me doing all the prep work to go through and enter all the information, I'm now in a review capacity. I review it and then I fund it. And so it it cut my time down significantly. To to do what you do better. Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's no cloning me. So anything that I can't figure out a way to delegate, I'm stuck with. And the more that it happens... Uh, the more the, the more impossible it is for the company to grow. As far as uh, business principles being control freaks, yeah, it definitely happens. Um, and yeah, and I would think that um, on a broad basis, that's one of the things that'll hold a business back from growing, not allowing others to do their work. But forget about them doing it, like you know uh, them. Ha- uh, having access for the purpose of carrying out the actions, a lot of times they want to have access just so they have access to whatever. And it leads to exposing the, the company if, um, if they end up being a victim of, um, of, of a breach. Uh, it, it's, it's so much more that gets put at risk and uh, just generally speaking, I don't like you uh, when when a general use account is used for systemic management. So, you know, like the president of a company is also, his account is also the one that... Is, the big admin. Yeah, has admin access to the entire email system. You know, they fall for some scheme. And now the entire company's email, Microsoft 365 files are all at risk. And uh, it, it would just be better if they left it to us on an account that we only use when we need to service them and it's otherwise not even in use at all. Right. And so it's least privilege necessary. And it's the same goes for everybody in an organization because, um, you know, you might go, this is our network drive, this is our file store, all employees have access to everything just in case. Well, you know, what happens when that one guy gets malware on their computer and they start encrypting all the files um, if they didn't have access to all the whole entire thing then they wouldn't uh, then the damage wouldn't be so broad true makes sense well, you, you talked about and as we start to wrap up I mean you talked about ransomware and stuff like that what what do you see I mean you've been in the doing this for 12 years now uh, as BL technical services what is the biggest threat it's out there. Maybe it's out here now, or maybe it's on the horizon that you see for small businesses, as far as from a IT perspective. Well, I think the biggest threat is is phishing. I think that that just continues to be, and it will be for a long time, being the biggest threat, and it, it keeps evolving. Um, so the reason why phishing is and will continue to be is because. As a malicious actor, you know, people are doing that. The, the people behind those schemes, they do it for a reason. You know, some people, and this certainly may have been true in the late 90s, uh, think of malware and malicious actions as kind of a vandalism situation. They go, oh, wow, I got a virus. Oh, oh well, I got to get it cleaned up. Please help me. Uh, where... These malicious actors are doing it essentially to make money one way or another. For data. Yeah, well, you know, or or, or ransoms. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they're doing it to, to make money. And um, so, and, you know, it's just kind of like when, you, when somebody gets, somebody's email has been compromised to send out a bunch of emails to try to compromise other people, the approach of vandalism is just like, yeah, it's not really the right thing. It's more like, when they start sending out those emails, those fake emails from somebody's account that's been compromised, that's when they're done with it. If they're not, if they're still value of being in it, they'll stay in it indefinitely. So, uh, you know, that value could be like, let's say they get into the head of HR, they get into the HR department's email account, they'll stay in there and keep collecting data 
forever. And uh, so it's important to prevent that as much as reasonably, I mean, really as much as possible. Um, so, but the reason why it's, it's, the, it's the, the vector is because the types of devices we're all using today is widely varying. So, you know, 10, 20 years ago, it was safe to say that you could easily hit 90% of the target by going after Microsoft Windows. And these days, so much work is being done by alternative uh, types of devices. Obviously, the smartphones that we have in our pocket, tablets, of course, the PCs are still around, Chromebooks, Macs, all of those. And if you're going after, if to do a ransomware attack, to do any type of malware attack, you have to target the platform that it's going to run on. You can't I don't know, I mean, maybe there's a technical way, but just generally speaking, you can't make a virus or malware that works on Macs, PCs, and Android and iPhones. You know, those are those, there's, you, you have to pick one of those platforms to attack if you're going to attack the platform. However, a phishing scheme will work on all of those. You send an email that is believable. The user sees it. They see it on their iPhone. Got a logo. It's got to be right. (laughs) Yeah. They see it on their computer. The, the, The damage can be done on all of those platforms. So if you're the attacker, you're going to go after, you're going to do the activities that have the highest likelihood for your goal and phishing is uh, is the one that does that because it works just across the board on all types of devices. What's the best advice you can give to the average Joe to be safe? Be skeptical, slow down, act on your intuition. You know, like just with with all the different ways you're being communicated with, there's so many ways for you to be scammed and I think everybody's gotten just a little bit too comfortable with technology and they believe everything that's in front of them. And that's why I say slow down, because uh, if somebody walks up to you off the street and says, hey, uh, I I got a bank account with a million dollars in it. I just need you to hand me ten thousand dollars. You're going to instantly know (laughs) that that is idiotic. But that type of scheme happens People believe it. And, uh, you know, the same thing, you know, I always like to tell people, you know, um, anybody can walk into a business or a bank, let's say, I can walk in there and go, you know, hey, I'm, you know, somebody with a lot of money. I'm Donald Trump. Give me $100. Oh, yeah, add that kind of money. Give me, a, give me a, uh, $10,000. We don't expect the bank to accept that on face value that that I am that that it's that it's true. There are levels of verification, but time and time again people accept emails on face value that say something like, "Hey, I need a gift card. Go buy gift cards. Scratch off the thing and email me the the details. Oh, don't call me. I'm in a meeting." All the while they never looked at the email address to see that it wasn't even at their company system. It was at an outside system. Slow down. Yeah, but both, first of all, slowing down and looking at the email address would have saved them from that. But also just going, the boss has never asked me to do anything like that. Why now? Why? Yeah. Why now? You know, huh? It's weird that he's asking me not to call him. You know, maybe I'll shoot him a text. Uh, So that's slow down and rely on your intuition. You know, these types of things will help uh, avoid a lot of pitfalls. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on um, electronic payment? I mean, now we're paying with our watches and our phones and stuff. I know that uh, skimming was a huge thing with credit cards, and mm-hmm. you know when you put the card in and put your little pin in and yeah. and all of that. But I mean, is that is that as secure as everybody seems? Oh, to it's think? you know, it's it's uh, it's funny. A lot of people probably would uh, get the perception that it's less secure, but it's way more secure because the way that it used to be. The mag strips, magnetic strips on the back of the cards, that holds information that is read and copied every time you would swipe the card. Whereas everything, the chip and uh, and the tapping, whether that's the tapping of the card or of the device, they actually are 
They're computers, even the chip in the card. There's a little computer built into the credit card. So when you stick the, the, the chip in there, it's not reading the chip, it's interfacing with the chip. And so the chip runs a process against the information so that the credit card companies know 100% that that card was involved in the transaction. It can't be copied because it's not something to be read and copied, it's a computer itself. And so similarly, services like Apple Pay and Google Pay and other tap-to-pay mechanisms, uh, they, they do the same thing. When you, when you put your device near it, it's not simply reading something off your device. The, the terminal, the payment terminal, is sending information to the device or the card. The, the device processes that information and digitally signs it in a way that only it could possibly do, sends back the end result, and then the uh, payment That's, terminal accepts that as, uh, validates that with the uh, credit card network to say that that's, that's a, a good sale. payment. And what's interesting is it could be even done offline. Um, you can't necessarily tell that the, um, that the credit card is good, but you can tell that it's actually a credit card, that it was legitimately a credit card in that device rather than, um, rather than a copy. So with the magnetic strip uh, type of cards, that stuff can just literally be copied by a scanner. I was going to say, because the magnetic strip probably holds like your, maybe your name, your address, the last four digits of your social security number, the, the card account number. and other... I don't think it has the last four but it, of your social security, but it definitely has... The, the account number. It has a lot of valuable stuff that somebody in the underworld would... <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and really, just what it comes down to, they're able to copy it and use it. If you, if you have, if, you're, if your mag strip was skimmed and copied, it would be readily usable. But these days, uh, the credit cards, um, they, they, when you swipe them, they, they, have a, they have a property that tells whether that it is normally a, uh, a, a chip card. Mm. So, you know, you can still get around it because, like, after so many failed chip card uses, the terminal says, all right, swipe. So if somebody's going to skim a card, they could probably copy it to a to a uh, dummy chip card where the chip looks like it's there, but it doesn't work. But it doesn't do anything. Yeah, so they you... stick it in three times, and it goes, try the mag stripe, and they're like, okay, we're good. There you go. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, everybody's always one step ahead of the... Bad guys seem to be always one step uh, ahead of the... Uh good guys unfortunately so the best advice you can give is be skeptical yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah andrew leonard thank you so much for your time today uh small businesses anywhere in the dc or baltimore metro area bltechnical.com is the website and uh, it's bl technical services you're headquartered here in glen burnie mm-hmm. uh, right on bna boulevard and uh, i'd love that you're got remote people so uh, if you happen to be listening to out in westminster or uh you know, out western Maryland, uh, they've got somebody there that can help you just as easily as they have somebody that can help you in uh, Gaithersburg or southern Maryland or Baltimore. Pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's Local Business Spotlight. Please make sure to visit ionanapolis.net for all your local news, events, and opinion. And in case you haven't already, please subscribe to the Ion Annapolis Daily News Brief, where we bring you all the day's local news direct to your phone, tablet, or computer in about 10 minutes. It comes to you at 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.